Hello and welcome to This Week in True Crime, the more laid-back weekly series that takes a look at current and ongoing events in the true crime world. We haven't done a This Week in True Crime episode for a short while, we've been on a bit of a hiatus, and that's because we are moving the entire show into just its podcast format. So this will probably probably be the last video visual version of the show, but you can find the show's Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find all those links in the description box down below so you can continue listening to it there. This week we will be looking into a Beverly Hills man who has been arrested in a Bitcoin for murder plot. And then we're going to take a look into a story about an Italian mafia fugitive who has been arrested in Brazil over two decades after his first arrest warrant was posted. All that and more coming right up. The following episode is not suitable for those under the age of 13. Viewer discretion and parental guidance is advised. Before we delve into this case, I'd just like to give a massive thank you to the people over at Surfshark for sponsoring this episode. Even with the world still in lockdown, it doesn't mean that your location has to be. With Surfshark, you can never run out of content to watch. Surfshark is a VPN service that allows you to easily change your location, which gives you access to a variety of Netflix libraries from different countries around the world. If the show or film that you want to watch not available in your country or your region, it's happened to me a lot of times, simply switch your location using Surfshark. And you can do that on every single device that you own, as Surfshark allows you to use one subscription on an unlimited amount of devices. You know just as well as I do that some of the stuff that we Google search can be considered a little bit strange. The beauty of Surfshark is that it hides your personal information and your searches from prying eyes. So you don't have to worry about one day finding yourself on the FBI watch list because you were researching Ted Bundy. I also use Surfshark to access news sources that have restricted access to just their country, meaning it allows me to research deeper by pretending to be in the case's location. And just for you, Surfshark has given us a discount code, Joshua, to get 83% off your subscription, along with an additional three months for absolute free completely free. Surfshark also offers a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's absolutely no risk if you're unsure about whether or not you need a VPN. You can find a link to get your Surfshark subscription at the top of the description and in the pinned comments below. Now, back to the case. E-dating is something that has become very commonplace within today's society, and it has its many pros and cons, with many success stories, though a fair few horror stories. And this story is unfortunately one of the latter. The woman in this case has had her identity protected, so we're gonna call her Claire for the purposes of this video. Now Claire was a massive fan of the hit anime-influenced massive web series called Ruby, spelled R-W-B-Y, which is super popular here on YouTube with even a video game being made based on it. And so, like many other people, 
Claire decided to go and join online communities where she could share her excitement for the series with like-minded people, a fun and innocent activity. She ended up stumbling upon a Facebook fan page for the web series, and after a while of befriending the community there, Claire actually became a co-administrator of the Facebook page, so was given the responsibilities of posting memes and updates pertaining to the show. It was when she was made the admin of this Facebook page that she met a 24-year-old man called Scott Quinn Burkett in July or in August of 2020. And their virtual friendship blossomed super quickly, bonding happily over their love for the show and for other anime series. The pair exchanged phone numbers and added each other on the messaging app Discord, and their friendship soon developed into a relationship. They began e-dating. They had never met each other in person, but they spent hours talking to each other via phone calls and Discord calls, getting to know one another. And in the middle of a pandemic, it was probably the safest thing that they could be doing. Though, as humans are social creatures, as we've all realised from the past year and a bit of being locked up um, during lockdown, we crave that physical contact with other people, and especially that need for physical contact within a relationship, that becomes pretty important pretty quickly. I'm not talking about the hoo-hoo, woo-woo, moo-moo. I'm talking about just, you know, a hug, a kiss, a, you know, if you're feeling lucky, if you're feeling brave, maybe even just a gentle handhold, you know, just make sure you make room for Jesus. But, you know, everyone deserves that little bit of physical contact or even just seeing them in person, you know, I totally get it. And so Claire decided to book a flight out of Los Angeles, California, which was where Scott lived, to finally meet him in person. She had booked a quick visit, landing at LAX on the 27th of October 2020 and departing just a few days later on the 30th of October. Scott waited for Claire to land at LAX airport on the 27th of October, likely full of excitement and anxiousness and nerves. The couple were finally going to meet. And when they did, they embraced one another and got into Scott's car and drove to the Avalon Hotel. When the pair arrived at the hotel, Scott booked and paid for a room for Claire for the duration of her visit. Now, I'm not really sure whether Claire believed she was going to be staying at Scott's place for those few days. I think Scott still lived with his family, but he had his, his own room. I'm not sure really what the situation were um, or what the plan was. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have traveled to a city without having already pre-booked my accommodation approximately 32 years in advance, but maybe that's just my anxiety talking. Um, I just can't go anywhere without knowing 100% just where I'm gonna be, where I'm staying. You know, it just stresses me out. It just stresses me out. I can't just go somewhere without knowing where I'm gonna stay. That's why I can never hitchhike. That's why I can never like backpack through Europe because I just need to know. They need to have confirmation. I need to know whether I'm going to have anywhere I'm going off topic. This trip though would end unfortunately with a lot of trauma and pain for Claire. According to the criminal complaints, Claire had sex with Scott during this trip, but she felt pressured to do so. The complaint continues to state that Scott was sexually aggressive towards Claire, Claire being obviously this fake name that we're using for victim one. Following the trip, after Claire departed from Los Angeles and upon learning the true nature and motives of Scott, Claire decided to phone up Scott and break up the relationship between the two of them. Though Scott refused to accept the breakup, 
Scott grew extremely possessive and obsessive over Claire and began to constantly message her on every social media platform under the sun. And when Claire blocked him or ignored him, Scott would move to another avenue of trying to contact her. He harassed her and stalked her. On the 1st of January 2021, Claire decided to message Scott again, telling him that they've broken up and that she just wants to move on. Now, interestingly, and I think this is Claire just trying to compromise a bit, Scott and Claire ended up talking a little bit as friends um, soon after that conversation on Discord. But it must be noted that Scott remained extremely possessive of Claire. And Claire made it clear that she just wanted to be friends, nothing more. She just wanted that space. This possessiveness and obsession bubbled and bubbled until it became too much for Claire, who on the 7th of February 2021 confronted Scott. She told him that she had repeatedly asked for space, which he had not given to her, and asked him to back off. And it appeared, at least for a while, that Claire's message to Scott had been received and fully understood. That was until about a month later, when in March of 2021, Scott messaged Claire a quite abusive paragraph, which basically concluded with him alleging that Claire had used him. In April of 2021, Claire travelled to a family member's house. We'll call this family member Steve for identity protection. And Claire told Steve everything about what had happened in the relationship with Scott, including the attempted breakup and the sexual aggression that he showed. It also became clear to Claire that despite her best efforts, Scott would simply not leave her the fuck alone. And so Steve put on his FBI research hat and discovered Scott's father's phone number and decided to call Scott's father and tell him about what had been going on. Claire's family instructed Scott's father that Scott needs to seize any and all contacts with Claire, otherwise they'll get the police involved. After a short back and forth, Scott responded to Claire's family by stating that he had blocked her on all social media and that he will consider this matter closed. I know, Scott, if you'd only learned your lesson and packed your incredibly, incredibly entitled, egotistical ass away, this would be the end of this story. I wouldn't have to talk about this anymore. But no, Scott, this isn't the end, is it? Is it? You decided, you decided that you wanted revenge. You decided that you wanted Claire to pay for defying you, for rejecting you. Scott wanted Claire dead. You see, Scott had decided to go on the dark web and try to book a literal hitman to get rid of Claire. Little did Scott know this murder for hire page on the dark web was a scam. And this group who had received his request informed the FBI with the information of Scott's request, believing there to have been serious threats to life. Scott had provided this dark web group with all the information he had on Claire, her social media accounts, emails, phone numbers, her distinctive tattoo, very specific identifiable aspects about Claire's identity, though it must be noted that he didn't know where Claire lived, only had a general idea. I don't even think he knew the exact state where she lived, um, but you know, he still told them everything like this. The criminal complaint in this case details a conversation that was had between a member of the dark web group running the scam slash fake murder for hire service and Scott. Scott used the username ULA77, but I'm just going to call him Scott in this um, reading of it. 
On approximately April 22nd, 2021, Scott was asked by the dark web group, hi, are you looking for a hitman? To which Scott responded, saving up for a simple hit. I'll be putting the job in as soon as I have the BTC. BTC, for clarification, is a shorthand way of saying Bitcoin, like USD for US dollars, or GBP for Great British Pound. On April 27th, 2021, Scott states, Hello, I was hoping you would be the person to contact if I had questions on what sort of information I would need to have ahead of time when placing a hit if I don't have the address, and if I can make small requests for once the hit's been carried out, i.e., make sure to destroy the phone of the target. On April 28th, 2021, following the payment of Bitcoin, Scott submitted their order, providing the information, order name, Claire, and order description. I'd like it to look like an accident, but robbery gone wrong may work better, so long as she is dead. I'll also like for her phone to be retrieved and destroyed irreparably in the process. On that same day, Scott stated, quote, I would like proof of her death sent to me. She has a distinctive tattoo on one of her forearms that I know the image of, so a photo of her corpse and a photo of her tattoo for identification would work. I'll refrain from sending a picture of the tattoo to avoid doctored photos. If possible, letting me know if she was in Arizona or Idaho would also be appreciated, so I can also verify via the obituaries. On May 9th, 2021, Scott stated, I've updated the order so that the bounty matches with what you informed me the hitman was requesting for the job. $2,000 extra to check both locations, and $2,000 extra to destroy the phone, and the original $9,000 bounty for the total of $13,000. I look forward to receiving communications that will let me know when, approximately, to prepare my alibi. The dark web group gave the FBI the evidence they had received the Bitcoin payments in line with Scott's messages to them, with the payments being made on April 25th, 26th, 29th, and May 5th, 2021. The FBI were then able to analyze the Bitcoin blockchain. I know this sounds a bit technical, but they just use magic and figured out that Scott had used a particular company to do these transactions to use to send the Bitcoins that he had paid the hit with. And through that, due to the legal requirement for identity verification on Bitcoin trading websites, the FBI obtained the identity of Scott. They then were able to further confirm that Scott had used his MasterCard and personal savings accounts at the Bank of America to purchase the Bitcoin. But the FBI still needed to concretely prove that Scott had been the one to personally purchase those Bitcoins and order the hit. And so the FBI then went undercover. On the 19th of May 2021, an agent posing as the hitman contacted Scott via WhatsApp. This faux hitman, who is obviously an FBI agent, then sent Scott pictures of Claire shopping at a Walmart, to which Scott responded by asking the faux hitman to call him. The FBI were able to positively say that, through this phone call, they believe Scott to have been the user ULA77 on the dark web murder for hire page. Now, according to the criminal complaints, their conversation went like this. Faux hitman. Hi, you got the pictures. Scott. Yup. Faux hitman. Yeah, so I'm following up on something that was started a little while ago. Um, I'm just making contact with you, Scott. Okay, I was actually surprised to get, get that through WhatsApp. 
faux hitman. I know we switch things up every once in a while. We'll pick another one after this. Scott. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, it seems to be the person. Uh, can't recognize them about. Can't recognize them as well because of the graininess of the picture. But yeah, that looks, that looks like them. Faux hitman. That's, that's her, right? Scott. Yeah, that's her. The faux hitman then confirmed again that the pictures that he had sent to Scott were of his intended target and that Scott had used the Bitcoin payments to obtain her murder. Faux hitman confirming that's the person that we talked about on the, uh, on the other piece, right? Scott, yeah. Faux hitman, okay. And you've already made, you've already made the, uh, the B payment, right? Scott, yeah, I've already done that. Okay, good. Scott, that was confirmed by a yeah. Okay, so my understanding is what has to get done is this. Uh, we're looking at some kind of accident or robbery to have gone wrong, right? Scott, yeah. Okay, Scott, that way it doesn't get traced. Faux hitman, right. And then we need to work on making sure your alibi is good. Um, and then we need some, you want some kind of proof and there's, if I'm, if I'm getting the information right, it's some kind of phone that needs to be taken care of as well, right? Scott, yeah. Okay. Scott, uh, proof of the tattoo on her, one of her forearms. Faux hitman. Okay, do you want, is there, do you want that tattoo? Is that part of this? Scott, just need a picture to verify the hitman. Okay, do you, do you want it? Do you, is that some kind of souvenir do you need or do you need one? Scott, uh, just the photo just the photo, Scott, of the tattoo. It's distinctive enough that I don't need a souvenir, Hitman. Okay, what is there any part of it? So do you wanna see? Do you want a video of her not breathing? What do you, what do you wanna see, Scott? Um, picture of the corpse and a picture of the tattoo uh, to make, to verify. Okay, Scott, just so that way, cause there were warnings of like, hey, make sure it's not photoshopped. Excuse my bad acting in that portion. Uh, but the faux hitman then asked uh, Scott to send him an additional payment to complete the murder of Claire, stating, if you could just send me, uh, can, you, can you float a grand or half a grand to a Western Union to get this thing done? They then discussed Scott developing an alibi for Claire's murder. Uh, there's a, okay. There's a few places nearby maybe that uh, can put me on camera. Scott's and the hitman then discuss locations where Scott's car could be seen on camera with Scott describing his car as an old Mercedes. Scott's car is a 2008 Mercedes that Scott was observed driving as recently as May 13th, 2021 and has been observed on the curb in front of the garage of the residence where he lives on May 20th, 2021. Following these exchanges, Scott made a West Union transfer of $1,000 to the faux hitman on the 20th of May, 2021. Throughout this, the FBI had placed Scott under surveillance and watched his every move. The following day on Friday, the 21st of May, 2021, the FBI arrested Scott Quinn Burkett and charged him with murder for hire. If convicted, he will face a statutory maximum sentence of 10 years in federal prison. He was expected to make his initial appearance in district court yesterday on the 25th of May, as of this video being posted, but later on today, as of this video being produced. So I don't know the outcome of that. But what I'm really glad about is that Claire is safe, her family's safe, safe and well, and that this 
creepy, rapey boy is behind bars and hopefully for a very long time. The next case we will be looking at, the final case, is into the arrest of a fugitive Italian mafia boss, Rocco Morabito. I can't speak Italian. I'm not going to try to pronounce these with the Italian accent. I'm sorry. He's, <laughs> Rocco is also known as the Cocaine King of Milan. Rocco Morabito was one of the suspected heads of the notorious Drangheta Mafia. Of course, I must have saying that wrong, uh, but I'm not going to try to pronounce it. I can't do that. I'm sorry. Rocco played a large role in the drug trafficking operations between South America and Italy, helping the Brazilian gangs move record loads of cocaine onto the continent. The Drangheta Mafia are mainly based in the Calabria region of southern Italy, and the police believe that they control as much as 80% of Europe's cocaine trade. While it seems that cocaine is their main exports, the Drangheta Mafia goes far beyond drug crimes, as you could have guessed. Dating back to the late 18th century, the Drangheta Mafia are no strangers to violence and unsavory acts, including sex work, human trafficking, extortion, and more, that sex work being likely forced. The Drangheta Mafia have branches all over the world, with notable territory in Argentina, Australia, Canada, Malta, the UK and the USA, with each of these territories being headed up by a different leader. There were many, many different leaders that the police were trying to take down, international police. Before his arrest, Rocco Morabito was Italy's second most wanted criminal and has been on their radar since 1994. He was originally convicted in 1994 after being part of a £6.2 million drug deal to import almost a tonne of cocaine into Italy. Unfortunately for the Italian authorities, he fled the country before he could be jailed. His main convictions were mafia association and drug trafficking. When he was 25, Rocco was seen living it up in Milan, surrounded by other young millionaires. During this time, he was known to the police, and he was known to have made 7.5 million euro in just two months, earning him the title the Cocaine King of Milan. Rocco Morabito was originally arrested back in September 2017 while staying in a hotel in Uruguay's capital, Montevideo. He had been living a life of luxury in the area under a false identity with a Brazilian passport, and living in a villa with a lovely luxury swimming pool for around a decade before he was caught. While waiting to be extradited to Italy, Rocco and three other inmates escaped prison in June 2019 after spending nearly two years in the prison. Rocco and his fellow inmates escaped through the roof of the prison before approaching a neighbouring farm and stealing money from the owner. After this escape, it seemed as though Rocco disappeared into thin air, and despite the international red request from Interpol, he was not found. Finally, after two years of searching, Rocco was found and arrested in the northeast of Brazil, along with two other people, including another member of the Drangheta Mafia. These arrests were made as part of a joint operation involving Italian authorities, as well as the US Drug Enforcement Administration, or the DEA, and the FBI. His arrests in Brazil show that the Italian mafias have a larger presence in Brazil than the authorities previously believed. As well as the arrest of Rocco Morbito, the 
Italian authorities are currently in the middle of the biggest mafia trial in decades, with over 355 suspected mobsters and corrupt officials being brought in in connection to the Drangheta Mafia. This is huge. The trial started at the beginning of 2021 and is expected to last for more than two years. During a pre-trial hearing, it took the court more than three hours just to read out the names of the defendants in the case. Finding and arresting Rocco Morabito adds another big player of the Mafia into the fold of this bigger investigation, meaning they have a bigger chance of ending the case with the outcome that the Italian authorities want. The anti-mafia prosecutor has even taken a vow to quote, take down this asphyxiating Drunketa group. And with that, it brings us to the end of this episode. I'd like to thank Surfshark again for sponsoring this episode, as we really couldn't do what we do without their help. What did you think of these two cases? Let me know in the comment section down below or send me a tweet or Instagram DM. My handle should be on the screen now with your thoughts and opinions. Finally, before I end the video, I just wanted to remind you that my merch is still available at joshuamiles.shop. We have such a great range of products for everyone. I personally love our stickers. Uh, I've stuck them all over my computer and my water bottle. <laughs> I'm not sure what we're going to do when we release new designs because I have filled up everywhere. I'm going to have to find some more empty spaces to fill uh, with new stickers. There's currently 15% off the store, making it the perfect time to buy some products. 10% of each purchase is donated to the DNA Dough Project. And our stickers are in a little deal where, where if you buy five, uh, you get one of those five for free. So you really just pay for four of them. So make sure that you get a hold of them today. Jump over to joshuamouse.shop and grab yours soon because when we release new stickers, some of the designs that are currently up are going to be replaced and taken down. So make sure you don't miss out on any of that. With all that being said, I'll see you in the next case. A special thank you to all of my Patreon members, especially my lead investigators, T. Vindiola, Samanthan O'Hara, Ash Medlock, Nikki, Layla Earl, and Cicely Thomas. If you want to support this channel, my Patreon is in the description. From $1 a month, you get access to videos a day early without advertisements at all, access to my scripts, free stickers, and other fun stuff. Now, there's no obligation at all to become a Patreon member, so please do not feel pressured at all to join. If you're not financially able to, my content will always be available for free right here on YouTube. <laughs>